Okay, this morning, <clears throat> I'm going to read um, from several different scriptures, but start in Psalm 40. And what we're going to be speaking about is our incredible calling, the incredible calling that we have in Christ. And God uh, wants to counsel us and show us the real, the, the substance of his heart and his desire <clears throat> in this calling that he has made ours in Christ. So in Psalm 40, verse 1, now here you're going to see in a lot of, a lot of uh, your different Bibles, and thank God for the Bibles that we have and, and those that are most correct to the original. Anyway, in Psalm 40, it's, it'll say to the, in many of these different Bibles, to the chief musician, and then it's a Psalm of David. Now we know this for a fact, that this was written, this Psalm, among many other Psalms, if this word, and it was, given to David to write, it was given, obviously, we know, by the Holy Spirit. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit that moved him, that moved him to write. That we know. And if it was, then would the Holy Spirit have anything to say to anybody in the whole Bible that it wouldn't have to do with Christ? So that we know that this psalm was written literally in the spirit of Christ. And Psalm 40 verse 1 it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. <clears throat> now, verse 2 it says, he brought me also up out of a horrible, horrible pit. And this really in the Hebrew it says a pit of noise. A pit of noise and confusion. And that's what Jesus Christ felt. And this is what this is talking about. And this is the really substance of our calling. It was him when he was on the cross dealing with, number one, the sin question in propitiation, and then two, dealing with all of our sins. Those that would choose him in John 1, 12, to become the sons of God that would receive him. All their sins were transferred to him, as we said in the doctrine of, uh, in the teaching of imputation, which means that, again, <clears throat> the moment that you and I receive Christ as our Savior, instantly our sins in God's eternal mind were imputed and put to, to Christ's account, and then all of his righteousness was imputed or put to our account. This had to do with, God, with, with a calling. And this is what it's talking about here in Psalm 40. He brought me also up out of a horrible pit. Out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay, and then he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Now David could say that because that's something that Christ did. But he, Christ, was the one that, was, that this was written about. Now it says in verse 3, it says, He put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord as a result of what Christ has done. Blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O oh Lord my God, are your wonderful works. Christ, can you hear him speaking this? Many. Many by you, Father, giving me as the Son of God to put on humanity for you to accomplish many, many works for many, 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 many different people. How wonderful are your wonderful works which you, done, which you have done and your thoughts are to usward. And he is not speaking this in terms of the Godhead, but speaking of it in terms of when he put on humanity and became one with us. They cannot be reckoned up. They cannot be reckoned up. They can't be counted up in order unto you. There's so many. If I were to declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Because obviously it has to do with the eternal mind of God. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, 
My ears have you opened. Now in the Hebrew, and we're going to see this in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 5, when it says this, my ears here have you opened. This goes into, and we don't have time to get into all of this, but you can see it in the type in Exodus 21 and verse 6. When the servant said, after he served his master for so many times, I believe it was about seven years, then when that time was up, that, that slave or that servant was free to go. But if he chose to stay, his master would take and put his ear on a doorpost and take an awl and put a hole in it. And that would speak of him because I love my master and if I stay in his house, I love my wife, my children, and everyone else. He said, I'm going to be a servant. That's what this is referring to. Burnt, because burnt offering and sin offering have you not required. Now, why was it that his ear had to be pierced? And really, it was his whole body, wasn't it? In, Psalm, in, in, in Hebrews 10 and verse 5, a body you have prepared for me. A body you have, and, and ears, my ears have you dug. That's what it's talking about there, and when we see these verses. So what it's teaching here is, is that for God to call you and I, and to, for us to have our calling in him, and we'll get into those verses this morning, God did so through his son. <laughs> he did so through his son. And that's why once we respond to him and receive him as our savior, he who crucified our old nature in Romans 6, 1 through 6, paid for all of our sins in Psalm 103 and verse 12. When we see that, very clearly, we see that we have eternal life and no one can ever change that because it didn't have to do with one single thought of ours. It was God's one full thought and that was his son and the means and of the way that he called us was through his son because who would answer his calling. Who is the only human being that ever answered God calling out? Desiring a servant, desiring someone that would love him in exchange with implicit obedience and quick obedience without delay. And of course, that would only be Christ. Because obviously, sin offering, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you, you didn't require, meaning those things, they couldn't take away sin that's why even when we study the mercy seat in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, it's called kaporath, and it just covers sin. So when I look at in Micah 7, verse 18, where it says, you, know, you blink, you can't even, you don't look at sin. And that's with Habakkuk 1 and 13. His eyes are so pure, can't even look on sin, has to be covered. And that's what, that's what, all these types in the Bible were doing that could only cover till Christ would come in Galatians 4.4 4, when he would put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14 because he would be the only answer to God's calling, to, in a sense, to God's question. And even that, when it says in Genesis 22 and verse 8, God will provide himself a sacrifice, and that was his son who would answer his call he answered it his whole life, but he demonstrated it fully on Calvary. He answered that call. And so that's what it's teaching here. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, you didn't require. So then it says, then said I, lo, I come. I come to what? To fulfill God's call, to answer his call. I come in the volume of the book. See what it's teaching? You know, Micah 7, 19, who is a God like unto you that passes by sin? That's Micah 7, 18. Who passes, he, he, he doesn't look on it. Oh, he, he looks away. All these types are covering it. That's why Job said in Job 14, 17, he said, he sewed up my iniquity in a bag. And of course, that bag, when Christ came, was put upon uh, Christ on Calvary. And that's why Micah 7, 19, it says, you buried my sins in the sea of your forgetfulness. <laughs> to, to, and that just simply means that God, once we're in Christ, he will never see us again after the sins that his son paid for, even if we function in them. But there's a necessary separation 
for us to have that fellowship with him. And so this is what it says. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, this whole book. That's why God has taught us and why he taught us to say even years ago, if you take Christ out of the Bible, do you have a Bible? We don't. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of this book. It is written of me. I delight, listen to this, to do who? Your will. I delight to do your will, which of course was Jesus Christ's whole service to his Father. When he did all those things that pleased him in John 8, verse 29, and in Romans 15, verse 3, all he, his whole sustenance in John 4, 34, was to do the will of the Father and to finish the work, which he ultimately did on Calvary in John 19, in verse 30. But it says, I delight to do your will. See? And no wonder it says for us in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Where is all his delight? It's in his Son. And when you delight yourself in my Son, you meet me there as a Father, and then I will give you desires that nothing can affect. I'll give you the desires of your heart, which we have no way of knowing outside of receiving them from the Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he said, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, my God. Yea, your law, your very word is within my heart. And when you study this in the Hebrew, and the Septuagint takes the Hebrew and brings it over into the Greek, and that's what happens in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verses 5 through 10, which we'll look at. When we see that, it's literally saying, my ears have you dug about hearing and submitting to you. And when we look at that, think of Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who didn't consider his deity, the glory, the outward expression of it, something to be manifested and shown. But he laid it aside He laid it aside, and he took on the form of a servant. See, this is what's answering to Psalm 40, and this is what is answering to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. He took on him the form of what? A servant. The word servant there is doulos, it's D-O-U-L-O-S, and it means the lowest, lowest servant that you could imagine. And that's, of course, what he had to be to fulfill the, the love and justice, righteousness and integrity of his holy and pure father in, in, in response to the answer, what am I going to do about all these others? Well, that was Christ. He said, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord. You know. I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. God forbid that, uh, you know, in, in his grace and mercy and his unconditional love, that we would never do that. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. This is Christ in his humanity saying to his father, you made me in the womb of that little 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1 and verse 35. And then, you made me. You are, I am in my humanity, your creation. And as a creature without a sin nature, but a human nature, I must humble myself, just like the unfallen angels do. They're in unbelievable humility, and that's brought out in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, when you see in the type, you see these six-winged angels. They, too, cover their face in the midst of just a certain amount of glory being revealed. Because no one has ever seen God in all his fullness, not even, a, not even the angels in John 1 and verse 18. No created being has ever seen God in all his fullness, yet they see Christ in Isaiah the 6th chapter and verses 1 through 3, and, you, and they see him, and two wings are covering their face in the midst of this unbelievable holiness of the pre-incarnate Christ. And then it says, And then it says, to cover their feet. And that's the intense humility 
you know, when you see in, in, in the scriptures, in Joshua 5 and verse uh, 15 and certain other places uh, where the, in Exodus 3 and verse 5, when God called out to, to Moses, he said, take your shoes off. You're approaching holy ground. It's intense humility. So these angels have the, the two wings are covering their feet. And then two, they're, they're hovering, and that speaks of, hear the word, instant obedience. <laughs> instant obedience. Now, when we see this calling, this was brought out again. Remember, and the Septuagint, the Septuagint is where the Hebrew is, is, is brought over into uh, the Greek in the types to show us what Christ himself is the antitype to all the types that he fulfilled, which, of course, he's the only one, obviously, that did everything. Because without him, what can we do? What could we have done? In John 15, 1 through 5, we could have done nothing. So in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, it says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and it was a shadow, but was it the substance? No, the substance had not yet come. But it was a shadow. It was a foretelling. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, but yes, listen to this, not the very image. You see, our image has to do with God's calling, and our calling has to do with God's will. And both of those have to do with the expression of his love for us. And not the very image of those things. See, the law could never do that. It could only be Christ, our proper image that he made us to be in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For the very, and not the very image of the things, that law, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make those that came to be complete. Their faith in the Old Testament, their faith with these sacrifices, the mercy seat, and as we said in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, and then in all those Levitical sacrifices and offerings we'll see in the book of Leviticus, were all pointing forward to Christ. Hadn't yet come. The work was finished in the eternal mind of God, but he hadn't yet come. And their faith looked forward to the cross because that's the, that's the fulfillment of every sacrifice, Christ. Our faith looks back because we are a heavenly people. They're earthly. We, we are a heavenly people, but we all meet at the cross. For then, in verse 2, for then would they have ceased to be offered. Yeah, because he didn't come yet. Because that the worshipers once purged, that's us, once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Isn't that amazing? That's part of our calling. That's part of our election, elected of God, chosen by him in John 15, verse 16, yet never apart from our will, ever. Because when Adam fell, God did not take away his will. Because whatsoever God does, he does forever. When, in Ecclesiastes 3, and verse 14, when he gave a will, a free, notice free, it was a free gift of grace. That's the first thing he gave to Adam. The first gift was free will, the ability to make choices. That's why love is in the will. We choose to love God and return it in obedience. But here it says that once they had their conscience was per they shouldn't have any more remembrance of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. That was the, the, the year of atonement. They would come, and that would be the great year of atonement, bringing out the reality of Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and the the Red Sea in, in terms of Christ dying for us in Exodus, the 14th chapter, and in those first 14 verses down through to the end of, the, end of the chapter till they could finally sing a new song in Exodus 15, verse 1. A type of Christ dying for us. But in no sacrifices, that's why David would say, and he trusted God, but he would say in, in Psalm 51, in verse 14, yeah, cleanse my conscience. He, he wanted a cleansed conscience. See, that's what he was crying out constantly then. And we'll read that. Listen to what it says in Psalm 51. And this is what his cry was. And that's what all their cry was, looking forward to the cross. Were they born again? Yes. Yes, they were saved. 
they were definitely saved because their faith looked forward to the cross. And so when we see here in Psalm 51, and we'll see this very quickly, in Psalm 51, he's praying, have mercy upon me. What he's praying here is be propitiated. See, that's what that the beggar in Luke, the 18th chapter, in those first 14 verses, but especially verses 12 to 14, he was saying that that beggar there, the, the, the guy that was poor, in, in terms of the Pharisee, the Pharisee was saying everything that he did for God. And here's this poor person, and he's be, pounding his chest, and he's saying, have mercy on me, and he's saying this, be propitiated. Be propitiated. I have a need for a Savior. That's what he was crying out. We don't cry that out. We don't cry that out. We don't cry, God, please forgive me of my sin. That can enter into a prayer, but it's based upon a proper confession that all our sins are dealt with in 1 John 1.9. We're not praying for forgiveness in 1 John 1.9. We're confessing that we are forgiven. It can enter into a prayer, but not for these folks as of yet. He said... Have mercy upon me, be propitiated according to your loving kindnesses in the Hebrew. Where was that all demonstrated, manifested through Christ? According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And who did that? For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, listen, against you and you only have I sinned. We can only sin against God and he'll have a negative effect on everyone else until it's dealt with. Yes, but it says against you, and you only have I sinned, and look, and done this evil. Sin is evil. You don't attribute it to weakness. <laughs> we are weak, but we still make a choice, you see. In your sight, we've done this evil in your sight, that you may be justified, justified, when you speak and be clear when you judge. And of course, there is nothing but judgment outside love and justice not having been met by Jesus Christ. Now, this is what he said. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That was from the fall on. Every human being. That's why he, we were, all of us, in our first, first born, born naturally. We were born naturally. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That's why in Psalm 58 and verse 3, even the little babies that come out of the womb, they come out speaking lies. Behold, you desire, you desire truth in the inward parts, the inward. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. And of course, who is the wisdom? We see that. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24. And you can even see it in Proverbs, the 8th chapter. Start in the 20s and finish it in verse 36. And you will see even there, that wisdom is Christ and his eternal relationship with Christ before he put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14. Then he said, he said, you desire truth in the inward part and in the hidden part. In the hidden part. See, God knows us inwardly. We can hide from others, we think. Can't hide from him. And we can't hide from him and his love and his justice. You desire truth in the hidden part, and you will make me. Notice that? You will lead me to make me know wisdom. Christ. Purge me with hyssop. This is going back to Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 13, where that the, that when the death angel came, they were to take they would crucify a, a substitute. They would slay it. They would take hyssop, which speaks of faith. They dip it in the blood. They, they put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil. They would go in and feast on the lamb with bitter herbs. And that speaks of the bitter herbs. They're the feasting on the finished work of Christ in type. The bitter herbs would be, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, they would be godly sorrow. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. For what, what went on your son and how he paid for everything that I did. But it's never with regret because it's never with condemnation or guilt in Romans 8 and verse 1. 
And this is what this is referring to. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. See, that's blood. And by the way, Christ's blood was absolutely pure. It wasn't like our blood. Because in Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the body, the human body, is in the blood. So you can't separate the two. Like some would teach. His blood was absolutely pure. It brought it into the heavens without any question about it in Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. And that's why we have a purged conscience because it was his whole everything poured out. His whole life poured out through that blood. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And boy, that's our new nature. When you see that in Revelations 3 and verse 5, they'll walk with me in white. And remember, that's, that's a diamond with the light glistening off it. That's the snow on a sunny day when the sun hits it and glistens with a beauty. That's what this is talking about, whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have, have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. That's our new position in Christ. We're created in him in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Created in me a clean heart, mind, lab, mind. O God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast, immovable spirit that is always available because it's my God-conscious capacity to be always steadfast and available for God the Holy Spirit to take what Christ has made mine to take the written word and make it a life-giving force and power in my own life. A right spirit within me. Cast me not away from, from your presence. Now, we'll never leave his presence positionally, although he may not be able to fellowship with us when we sin. But he, he will never cast us away from his presence. Because in John 6, 37 and 39, and John 10, verses 28 and 29, he'll never, no one can ever tear us away from him. No one. Because Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And those that are in me are one with him. And when God does something, he does it forever. And it doesn't change in Malachi 3, 6 and, John, and James 1 and verse 17. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, the Holy Spirit abode on them till Christ came to finish the work to send down the Holy Spirit, which formed the church. We never, that's never our prayer. We never take this and bring it over into, into uh, grace, and into our position in Christ as heavenly saints, heavenly believers. We never pray that because it's not true of us ever one single time because it's not true of him. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And that happens when you and I confess, right? Our sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1, 9. And then uphold me with what? Your free spirit. Then will I teach sinners your ways. Uh, teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted unto you when they see Christ in me. Then deliver me. This is what he prayed, see? Deliver me from blood guiltiness. What is he praying for here? He's praying for a cleansed conscience. That's what we already have. He's praying for it. Deliver me from blood guiltiness because every year they would go in and that great year of atonement would always remind them of sins again that need to be dealt with in type, but which would happen when Christ would come. As we said in Galatians 4 and verse 4 and John 1 and verse 14, uh, with Luke 1 and verse 35. Restore unto me the joy of your deliverances and uphold me with your free spirit. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, you God of my salvation. Where is our salvation from? Everything about it, even the fruit, it's of God. Everything about us is constituted of God. That's why it can't fail 1 Corinthians 13, 8, his love never fails. And so when we look at this, and when we see this here, which is a very beautiful truth brought out, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. That's the new song. That's the new song there that we read uh, first this morning. That's a new song. You put a new song in my mouth. See, in Psalm 40 and verse 3. You put a new song in my mouth. It's even praise to God. Did you know... 
that in Psalm 22 and verse 22, and that I know it with you in a fresh way, the way that God's bringing it, and in he- based upon Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, and especially 2.12, that he, being one with us, after everything he's accomplished to his Father and for us, he will sit- lead us in worshiping God. <laughs> Who is like God? He will lead us. He's going to sing that new song. Now, we'll sing around his throne in Revelations 5, 9, and 12. Worthy is the Lamb. That's our song. But ultimately, when he has put down the last enemy, Christ, in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, and dealt with all the enemies, we see that in, in, in taught in terms of prophecy in Psalm 2, 1 through 12, and scores of other scriptures that once he's dealt with everything, at the end of Revelations, the 20th chapter, we go into the eternity of the eternities and we see the new Jerusalem coming down and then, we're, and then being one with the earth. And that's bringing out 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Then he, after he subdued and reigned over everything, then he himself with us will submit to his Father so that God can be all in all. Right now, Christ is all in all in Colossians 3.11. But then, at the end of all of this, when we enter into the eternity of the eternities, in 1 Corinthians 15.28, he will be with us, leading us with this celebration and worshiping God. That's what this is going into, and the Septuagint brings all of that over. So we see here, again, in Hebrews, uh, the 10th chapter, you see here, let's read it again. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, those types that were all under the legal covenant, and not the very image, Christ himself, of those things, can never with those sacrifices... We see it in Psalm 51. We read it in those 14 verses. Which they offered year by year, the great atonement, continually. They couldn't complete. They couldn't complete the believers till Christ came. For then would they have not ceased to be offered. Because that the worshipers, and that's who he's made us to be, by the way, true worshipers, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. And can I worship him properly in my image when I'm functioning in sins? He paid for them, but can I? No. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance made again of sins every year. It's talking about the great atonement. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It took the, It took the blood of Jesus Christ. We see that in, in, he, in, in Hebrews 9, verses 12 to 14. We see it. We, we see it clearly. I mean, all of it was poured out. And that's why when he met the two on the road of Emmaus in Luke 24, 39, and when he appeared to doubting Thomas in John the 20th chapter, he said, touch me for a spirit has not flesh and bones. All his blood was poured out, complete. It was a complete sacrifice. And we're complete in him. Finished. Perfect. In Colossians 2.10. All of us. And so, it's not possible that the blood of of, uh, bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he came into the world, that's John 1.14, Luke 1.35, and Galatians 4.4, he said, sacrifice and offerings, you don't want that. That doesn't fulfill your desire, but a body you prepared, ears you dug, a body you prepared. He made the Holy Spirit form Jesus' body, his physical body in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl, Luke one thirty-five. And being a creature, a, something that God made in the perfection, even in his impeccable humanity, he submitted and humbled himself. That's Philippians 2, 5 through 11 brought out beautifully in the scriptures. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you didn't have any pleasure. It wasn't fulfilling your desire, your calling, your will, your love. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. What? To do your will, which he did. In John 4, verse 34, it was his whole 
sustenance to do the will of the Father and to finish the work which he ultimately did on Calvary. And he was finishing it all the way up to Calvary. And even before Calvary, we see in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 4, he had already finished the work. He just went there to demonstrate it. And that's why death did not take him. No one killed him. Even though they cried out, crucify him in John 19, verse 15, they did not kill him. He gave himself over to death in John 10, 17 and 18. He fulfilled the commandment of the Lord in obedience by giving himself over. And again, as has been said to us, when he said, it is finished, it was his way out, it is finished. It was a cry of victory. That's our cry. We're more than conquerors in Romans 8 and verse 37. Above when he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you would not. Neither had pleasure. You could cover, but he had no pleasure, which are offered by the law, because the law in Hebrews 7, verse 19, never made anything complete. It never finished anything. But the bringing of a better hope did, by the which we draw near to God through Christ. And he bridges that gap and takes away all distance between, he has done that. He's taken for each of us all distance between God and us. Now, when we sin, we can't fellowship with that love, okay? But he's even given given us a way out, a way back instantly into that. And God forbid we should delay. He doesn't, but but we do. But he still... We still have that love. That love that he has for us never changes. He never removes his eye from the righteous in terms of that love that he had for his son for us in him in Job 36 and verse 7. He never had any pleasure which were offered. Then said I in verse 9 of Hebrews 10, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, (laughs) the first Adam, the first us. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15. It all talks about the rapture and goes right into the first and second Adam all the way to the end of that chapter. Those 58 verses there in 1 Corinthians 15 are amazing capsule of what has been accomplished by, by Christ to the Father and for us. And so it says, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. And the second is who we are in Christ. And it's unchangeable. By the which will, whose will? God's will. We are what? Sanctified, set apart from the old and set into the new through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. He did it for all in propitiation, but only those who receive him have their sins dealt with in John 1 and verse 12. Okay, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, this God-man, this Word of God, life-man, Christ in his humanity, God in humanity, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, (laughs) eternal life, which can change, sat down on the right hand of the Father. Right hand of God. We see that in Psalm 110, verse 1, and scores of other scriptures that that's Christ's position. He's positioned next to the Father with a complete, the Father's complete satisfaction, joy, approval, and power with us in Him, in our heavenly position. And so, as we begin to wrap this up this morning, this is the thought that God gave me. He gave me this thought. And boy, sometimes they come so quickly. And I, grace comes in, and even at times, we're not even prepared for it. I mean, I woke up, like, oh, slept late, woke up, and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't even have time to study. Sat down and gone, boom, instantly giving me his thoughts. And he's explaining to me my calling. He said that, God, this is my calling, Ed, and this is for all of us, true, right? My, my calling has to do with my will. And my will has to do with my love. Now, our calling has to do with our will, which he never took away, in terms of receiving Christ. And when we did, where did we meet God 
where God is resting in the son of his love. We see that in Colossians 1 and verse 13. God is resting in his love and he's singing in Zephaniah 3 verse 17. He's singing over, God the Father singing over his son and what he's accomplished through the Father and for us. And us in him as pro- proper worshipers, we have a new song as we read. A new song again, Psalm 77 verse 6 and scores of other places in Job 35 and verse 10. He put a new song in my mouth, even praise to God. This has, God's calling is his will first, right? God was free in his will to create us in his image. And what was that? With a free will. And will God take away, could God take away his own will? Would he ever take away ours? And he never did. Even though there's bad, evil, wicked teaching on that that causes a lot of works and frustration and confusion to believers that are truly born again. So it was God's first will. We see that in Genesis 22 and verse 8. The work that was finished in his eternal mind in Hebrews 4, 3 and Christ, that, that lamb from, slain from the foundation of the earth before that in Revelations 13, 8. Then he came to deal with the sin question in John 1, 29. That's the sin question. God had to be propitiated. We needed to be reconciled. There wouldn't be any reconciliation and God wouldn't have been propitiated if there hadn't been a substitute between. That's who we're in. (laughs) We're in Christ in the highest way in the book of Ephesians, in the epistle of Ephesians, the highest way. Those truths brought out again to those Jewish Christians that were going back to the law in this very, very book here, Hebrews. And so then my calling out to him, and that's my hand, I can't do anything, I'm dead in my sins, I'm on the ground, and I just answer his call as he calls out to me first. And with my will, my hand reaches up and clasp that grace and becomes one in receiving it. My will, and then I meet God in Christ. And that's where I have my Father in John 20 and verse 17, and a Savior, obviously. Now I am a true worshiper. Did you know that? We're a true worshiper, and it's our choice to enter into it. Anytime we want, we can just praise him right now. Because that's what he's... We're in choir practice right now. Because you know when finally all our loved ones that have preceded us and gone on ahead, they're all around his throne right now. In Revelations 5, 9 to 12. And just singing that new song based upon their new image and their new nature. They're singing it. Boy, do they know him now. They may not have then, may not have now, but boy, they see him now. And so I meet God in Christ. Now I'm a true worshiper in and with with God's fulfilled will, which is Jesus Christ. That's the calling in here. And I'm just going to read certain verses and we'll close about calling. And maybe another time we can get into that word and, and get into the Greek in, in terms of trying to explain, not to show off that we know Greek, but the Holy Spirit chose the Koine Greek to bring out the most picturesque, beautiful reality about what we have in Christ. That's why when we go, if I do go to the Greek, it's not to show off any of us. It's for Christ to be revealed to us. And so in Romans 8 and verse 28, as we begin to wrap this up this morning, Romans 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that all things work together for the good. That's how it says it in the original. To them that love God, And to them that are the called. That's who we are. Calling. We have been called. Because Christ has answered God's calling in our place. It's so amazing. We have this call. God, And God has answered it. And now we receive God's answer. And we become one with him. See? To them that are the called in Christ. According to what? His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, conformed to the image of his Son. That we won't be conformed to the world anymore, or the old. And that's why we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our only reasonable service. And in that way, we won't be conformed to the world, in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, 
to the image that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, he's our firstborn. And when it talks about he's a firstborn in us, it's his first love. That freshness in Revelation 2 and verse 4, it's that first love. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called, and whom he called, them he also justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And whom he justified, he, them he also glorified, because Christ was glorified, and we receive that in ourselves. And that's why in Colossians 1.27, it says, Christ in you, the hope, the guarantee of glory. And that's an answer to his prayer. He's given us his, that glory that he got in terms of his humanity in John 17, verse 22. But then there's a glory we're going to see him in all his deity also that he had with the Father long before anyone was ever born in verse 24 of John 17. And that's what the prayer was in John 17, 4 and 5. Beautifully brought out there in the scriptures. So, he glorified. So then what, what is our response to the reality of this calling, to these things? God for us? Who against us? If God's for us, does it even matter? Does it even, excuse me, does it even matter? There's so much more to go into here as we still have a nine more minutes. So in 2 Corinthians, I mean in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the first Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 26 to 31. Look what it says. For you see your calling. How important is it for us to see our calling? And who answered it? For do you see your calling, brethren, those that are Christ? How that not many wise men after the flesh, nothing to do with natural intellect at all. Not many mighty. We're weak. Let the weak say in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, we're strong. because Not many mighty, not many noble. False nobility. Who's more noble than Christ? God's only answer. Are called. You see that? But God has chosen. Notice this, the foolish things of the world. In other words, those things the world considers us to be. You, you're foolish. You're foolish. God has chosen the foolish things of this world system, us out of it, to confound the wise, the think they have wisdom. And God has chosen the weak things of this world <laughs> to confound the things and to show them really where true might is. And base things of the world. How far, how low did Christ go in paying for the sins of the most vile, most worst person? And base things of the world and things which are despised murderers, and on and on. God forbid we should ever enter the sins of murderers and rapists and, and terrorists. But they could receive Christ. Whew. God. And God only knows how far we would have gone had he not got ahead of us, got a hold of us, I should say. The base things of the world and things which are despised has God chosen in Christ, dealing with them taking away their sins. Yea, and things which are not, nothing in themselves, not a single thing in themselves, to bring to nothing things that are. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 2 and, and 3. If I don't have love, I am what? Nothing. And if, if I don't have him, what does it profit me? Is there any profit? In 13, 3, 1 Corinthians uh, 13. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, notice this, of him, of God are you in Christ Jesus, who of God, constituted of the exact same substance, is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's what we have, and we can go to him anytime for wisdom, to experience righteousness, and the fact that we are sanctified because we've been redeemed and bought. That according as it is written in Jeremiah 9, 23 to 25, 24, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, that as, as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord and nowhere else, and in no one else, in no one else. And so when we see that, what do we see here? We see seven. Let's turn, and I'm just going to read these as we close. Six minutes. <laughs> 
1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, and here it is in verse 20. Let every man, this is us, every believer in Christ, let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. This new life, this new image. And when we don't and we sin, what do we do? We confess it. Yes, there's godly sorrow that was brought out in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and those bitter herbs in uh, Exodus 12 and verses 1 to 13. Yes, but there's no regret. There's no regret. See? Abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Are you called being a servant? Because you're in Christ. You You don't use your own will to serve yourself. You use it in Christ to serve God and serve others. Are you called being a servant? Okay, care not for it. It's awesome. But if you may be free, and we are, use it rather. What makes an effective servant? One who's been free to serve others and no longer himself, no longer those lust patterns, no longer those sins. (laughs) For use it in your freedom rather and don't use it to go back again to those sins. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also, he that is called being free only when I'm free, functioning in who I am in a proper image, only then, what, am I Christ's servant? You are bought with a price. Be not you the servants of men. That starts with ourselves. Don't be a servant of yourself apart from Christ. Me, Ed, don't you be a servant of yourself apart from Christ because you don't serve God and you don't serve anyone. You only care about yourself. Um, Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therefore abide with God. And of course, that's in Christ. Again, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. Look how this starts. Now, look. Well, 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, he's been glorified by Christ. Christ glorified him in John 13, 31 and 32, long before he went to the cross. That cross was the demonstration of it. May give unto you the spirit of wisdom, notice that, and revelation, which only the Holy Spirit can take the written word and make it a life-giving force in us as the power source, that's revelation, in the knowledge of him. And when I know him, I know me in him. And then I know God as my father. The eyes of your understanding being lit up being lit up, that you may know what is the hope, the guarantee of his calling. See, God gave us his guarantee. That's Christ. Colossians 1.27. The guarantee, the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. That's us. Saints are one set apart. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? That's Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, again in 1 Corinthians 1.24, according to the working of what? His mighty power in 2 Corinthians 12.9, and as, we, as the Holy Spirit brought Joel 3, verse 10 to us also, which he wrought, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. He has a name that's above every name. You see that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, fulfilling Isaiah 45 and verse 28. He has a name above every name and every knee will bow. Of things in heaven, it's us in our position, things on the earth, millennial reign or how long we are, and things under the earth, even those that are in hell based upon Isaiah 14, verse 9, hell in the center of the earth. And so, everything. But also, in this world, world is age, by the way, this particular age, not only in this age where we are, the church age, but also in that which is to come for all eternity and has put all things under his feet. And where are we? All things are under his feet. Read Romans 8, 31 to 39. All of that is under his feet. It's in his control. And gave him to be the head over all things. How many things? 
How many things in our details of life and circumstances and situations? How many? All things to who? The church. That's who we are. Which is his body. Ephesians 5.30. 1 Corinthians 12. 12 and 13. The fullness of him that fills all in all. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. This is awesome. And I believe we're getting it. I'm getting it with you. And uh, have that privilege. And with you this morning and, and to be able to have it with you and to have it together. Philippians 3 and verse 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And if I'm any other, and, and let, us, let us therefore, as many as be complete in him, perfect, complete in him, have the same mind that he has towards us that God has towards us and that we should have towards each other. Be thus minded. And if in any other thing will be other minded than that, which wouldn't be the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2.16, then God will reveal this even unto you. God the Holy Spirit will show us when we're functioning in the flesh, not condemning us, but showing us who we are in Christ. Again, a couple more and we're done. We'll see it here. I wrote these down so quickly as though as God the Holy Spirit brought them to me this morning in like a lightning flash. <laughs> in a lightning flash. We see this again here in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in your experience, which he did in in opposition, and the work of faith with power, that the name, the person of Christ, and the work that he's accomplished, our Lord Jesus Christ, and notice that he's our Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't need anyone to make him that, may be glorified in you and you and him according to the grace of our God God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we'll... Here we are in, in, in 2 Timothy. We're almost done in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. 2 Timothy. Boy, that's some small writing there. 2 Timothy 1, 9. It says, Who has saved us? That's past tense. Our eternity is taken care of. Who has saved us and called us with what kind of a calling? A holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world even began to be. We see that in Ephesians. Read Ephesians, the first chapter. God's purpose and grace. Then go into the second chapter, his kindness. And what we have, his kindness in in Ephesians 2, 7, that goes into 8 through 10. And then the last one here, and if we had more time, we'd get into these in, in a greater way. And then in Hebrews 3, and he's talking to these He's Hebrew Christians, and they're no longer Hebrew. <laughs> they're in Christ. They have a brand new. They have a brand new. Crea- they're a brand new creation, and so he's. But he's telling them because they keep going back to the law, because that's what we'll do when we function in the flesh. Hebrews three and verse one. Wherefore, holy brethren, that's who they are. That's who he's talking to here. They're born again. They cannot lose their salvation. Holy who? Brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, Jesus Christ, the supreme sovereign messenger and high priest of our confession. If you see profession, cross it out, it's confession. Our confession, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And then finally, we don't have time to get into these this morning, but in 2 Peter 1, in verse 10. These verses, we had more time, we would get into them. Listen, in 2 Peter 1 verse 9 says, but he that lacks these things is blind, meaning they may be yours in Christ as a Christian, but you've never been taught them. So you function in darkness and in, in, in not light, but blindness. But he that lacks these things is blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, Satan blinds the minds of them and he uses, because he's an angel of light in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and he wants to make them his ministers. You know, fleshly ministers in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15. And there's a lot of them teaching Christ that way right now, by the way. And cannot see afar off. 
They don't see your position, how far God sees you. And have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You know, the enemy wants that, doesn't he? He wants us to forget that we've been purged from them in Hebrews 9 and verse 22. Wherefore, the rather, instead of that, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, meaning receive them, and that's in, in James 1, 21 to 27. We see that crystal clear there. But if you do these things in John 13, 17 also, happy if you do them, you will never fail because you'll experience his love. Father, thank you for your love and your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.